Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is George Scott, Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar, and today I'm joined by Warren Rossiter, Senior Technical Editor on Bike Radar and Cycling Plus, and Jack Luke, Deputy Editor on Bike Radar. Good afternoon, chaps. Good afternoon, George. Afternoon. So today we're going to talk about endurance road bikes. Warren has just tested a wide range of endurance bikes for both Bike Radar and Cycling Plus magazine. And Jack is a man who has logged lots and lots of endurance miles in his time. He's a big fan of long-distance bike rides. So we're going to give you a potted history of the endurance road bike, but also our buyer's guide in terms of what to look for and hopefully some tips to help you buy the best bike for your needs. But before we get going, Jack, what have you been up to recently? I know you have been on some of those big bike rides over the last couple of weeks. So yeah, tell us about some of your uh, your adventures in recent times. Yes, uh, as we move into the warm season, the summer season here in beautiful southwest of England, I've been indulging in some little jollies across the bridge into deepest, darkest Wales with some multimodal mixed media rides, taking in lots and lots of road riding, but also the cheeky gravel sector here and there, which is perfect fodder for endurance bikes. And a, a trip back to uh, the homeland of Scotland a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, I'm not sure we can describe it as a mini training camp, but definitely <laughs> definitely lots of miles. <laughs> lots of miles, all aided by a pretty fearsome tailwind. Very carefully composed routes for that reason alone. So some high average speeds, but perhaps not a high training load. Just how I like it. Good stuff. Well, hopefully you can give us some insight as to what you like to see uh, from an endurance bike and how you set up your bike to log lots of long distance miles in comfort. But Warren, I know you've just tested lots of bikes, as I said, recently for a a recent endurance road bike test and also for Bike of the Year, which had an endurance category. But I know you wrapped that up a few weeks ago. So since then, what have you been up to? What have you been testing recently? Um, I've had a huge change of pace where I'm now putting together a massive test for a special in Cycling Plus on effectively commuting e-bikes. So um, 
as I say, yeah, yeah, a big, a big uh, change of pace, as it were, and lots of time out riding anywhere and everywhere, um, watching batteries deplete just to see what sort of range I can get out of things. Any, uh, can you kind of share any of the, the highlights from the test so far? Now, I know this podcast will probably go out before the test is revealed, but any, uh, any kind of standout bikes? Um, this, it's a sector that's sort of moving really, really quickly. So I've had a really interesting bike from Cooper. That's of, you know, Cooper kind of cars fame who, who were made a big impact in, in road cycling a few years back with, uh, their kind of retro styled steel British bikes. And they're, they've kind of been reimagined. They're still steel. They're still beautiful vintage looking bikes, but they're all running a, a, a really clever electric rear hub that actually self-contains everything. So battery motor everything in within it and um and actually has curves so when you're going downhill if you back pedal you can you can get a little bit of regen going on and that's been an interesting um an interesting bike to try and then you know um specialized their new turbo um sort of urban turbo platform is just a fabulous bike and today i've been riding you know i've literally just got off a bike about half an hour ago um i've put 70 miles in on um trek's new alliant Eight, which is a really nicely styled urban bike beautiful ride super comfortable so yeah it's a, it's a really interesting market right now i mean i think there's there's lots of innovation going on in e-bikes and it's nice to have that sort of change of pace mm, well, well hopefully that's something we can talk about in the podcast in future because like you say it's a really fast evolving market and you know certainly one that not just touches uh, established cyclists who you know ride for sport and ride for fitness but also people who perhaps want to ditch the car or get out of a train or, or bus on the ride to work but to, to focus on endurance road bikes, as we said for today's podcast, this is a sector that's evolved significantly over the past decade uh, since the likes of the original Trek de Marnier and the Cannondale Synapse were launched. So let's start this one with the basics. Warren, can you give us a definition of what is an endurance bike in 2022? How's it evolved over the last 10 years? Fundamentally, an endurance bike or sportive bike or, or whatever, they, they've all kind of evolved from the same place. And, and as much as you can get innovation with suede suspension systems and comfort in the build or, or et cetera, et cetera. The fundamentals are that an endurance bike differs from a race bike as it's designed just to offer a position that's a bit less stretched out, which also means you're not quite as low. And it's also makes for a bike that's slightly easier to handle. You know, designers achieve a more comfortable position. They shorten the top tube, um, they extend the head tube a little. So that reduces how far you have to reach simply to hold the bars. That puts you in a less stretched out position, a riding position that puts less pressure on your body, especially your lower back, which means you can ride in more comfort for longer. I mean, how how has this category evolved um, over the last kind of decade or so? Because you know, we all know the bike industry likes to establish new trends, establish new categories and subcategories within those. So, I mean, how long have endurance bikes been a thing? Is that a fairly recent development over that kind of 10 year period? Or actually, is this just a new name for a type of bike that's existed for a lot longer? Yeah, yeah, it was a new sort of sportier name for a bike that's already already existed you know um i think if you're if you're if you're british or european it's probably a bike you call an audax bike if you're you know from the an american persuasion they used to be called century bikes you know and it, it those bikes originally were really defined by having super tall head tubes and a little bit shorter so they you kind of ended up with this bolt upright riding position and, and also i think when you go back to those old century and audax bikes they weren't the best looking things, you know, especially if you, if you're a taller rider, you know, when you're ending up with a head tube, that was like 230 mil, they, they just looked all kinds of wrong. And I think where those original uh, endurance designs got it right. And I'm talking about the original, 
you know the developments of the Roubaix, going back to the Roubaix that had um, the Zerts inserts and the and the, the early generations of Cannondale Synapse. These bikes they looked racy, they looked sporty, so they almost had a way of disguising the more relaxed geometry, as it were. And I think if a bike looks good, you'll buy it. You know, it's it's that simple. You know. Yeah, and it's it, you know that that kind of development, not only of the technology, as you say, has been accompanied by the development of the the looks of the bikes and also the marketing around it and what people want from it but want from a bike or expect from a bike um, and you kind of touched upon it there Warren in terms of you know these are bikes who are primarily designed for people who aren't necessarily interested in the pointy end of racing but is that kind of an op- oversimplification of who an endurance bike is for yeah I think so I think so I mean you know if it's like if you're if you're riding you know if you're if you're into six hours and three figure mileage you know you want a bike that's that's going to pretty much look after you you know you're not going to want something that's that's going to beat you up because unless you are you know that pro level pinnacle of fitness and, and toughness that's when things are kind of start getting really really hard so you know when you're really really deep into a big ride you don't want a bike with that has steering inputs that feel like a formula one car it's just not your best bet a great endurance bikes manage to balance comfort with stable but still sporty handling and still maintain that they're fun to ride. Um, and I'll say that, you know, achieving that is a simple, you know, it's some simple kind of geometry tweaks, you know. It's usually they'll relax the head angle, maybe by a degree, maybe half a degree, over the kind of classic racy 73 degrees. You know, they'll add a little bit of rake to the fork and all that as a as a, the effect of just slowing down the initial response to, to steering. You know, so, so you get a bike that's more... I like to think of it as by the more sweeps through corners rather than, you know, darts across the road like, a, you know, an angry wasp. And then, as, you know, a, an endurance bike tends to have a sort of elongated wheelbase. So, you know, back when they were first being pushed, that, that was kind of one of the defining factors. Now it's more defined by the fact that endurance bikes have bigger tyre clearances. So it, it's almost a, the extended wheelbase is a result of the need for, for greater clearances. So, you know, you think of a classic race bike will have a, you know, um, rear chain stays of about 405 mil. Your typical endurance bike, you're looking at 415. You know, so you just get this longer wheelbase. It's much more comfort. It's much more. It's a much easier bike to live with, as it were. And and for you, Jack, when you're uh, you know when you're planning a big ride or you have a big ride in mind, you know, what are you looking for from a, a bike that's going to provide uh, comfort over that distance? Is it a, a kind of typical endurance bike, as Warren's mentioned, the kind of the Synapse and the Roubaix of this world? Or, you know, what's the what's the kind of the bike that gets you going for uh, for planning those big miles? Mm, I think, you know, if I was building a bike from the ground up, say, rather than necessarily what I've ended up with, it would very much take the form of a proper endurance road bike for various reasons. You know, personally, I, I quite like a more aggressive position, but on Modern endurance road bikes, as Warren sort of alluded to, is possible to get a position which will work for you. The likes of Trek, historically, though they no longer do, did offer, for example, um, a more aggressive and less aggressive fit in their Domani, which is their endurance bike. And speaking of the Domani or looking at the Roubaix, I am a real big believer in the sort of comfort adding technologies which have been introduced largely, for the most part, on endurance road bikes. Trek, with its ISO speed system, a decoupler which separates either the seat, well, it separates the seat tube and the top tube uh, and allows them to pivot on a bearing. It's a bit of an oversimplification, but a genuinely good system which adds an, a great deal of comfort. And then on the Specialized side, we have the Head Shock, not the Head Shock, Future Shock. It's getting my Cannondale and Specialized mix up there. The Future Shock, which allows for about 20 millimeters of travel just above the head tube and suspends your bars 
Um, so both systems I was honestly quite sceptical of before I rode them, but I've been very impressed through testing. But if you prefer a more analog approach uh, to your compliance adding, I would also be looking for a bike with ample tire clearance. And that is something that's, I think, an interesting trend where, worth dwelling on when we consider endurance bikes where like something like the Trek de Mani, I think if you were on the right sort of rim and tire combination, you'd quite reasonably get a 35 millimeter wide tire in there, which is erring into gravel bike territory. And of course, there are differences between the two of them, but certainly wide tire clearance would be up there for me and one of my key criteria in looking for a comfortable road bike. And of course, and this is true of any road bike, regardless of the, the genre of riding, contact points which suit you and your body. I think that that point around versatility is really important when it comes to endurance bikes and as well as uh, enabling a, a comfortable or perhaps a more upright position over long miles, the added vers- versatility that does come from an endurance bike, particularly through that clearance for wider tyres, is uh, a key selling point for a lot of people. So you, know, you can still get a sporty position if you want to. You can still ride sporties fast or even race on, a, on an endurance bike. There's absolutely nothing stopping you doing that. But you also have the ability to add a as you say, a 35 millimeter tire or possibly even wider in some cases to you know, dabble in light off-road riding or you know, hard pack bridleways or uh, even gravel, um, uh, you know, if we're not going to divert into another niche. I just uh, one thing I'd actually, or one thing I'd add, and I can't believe I resisted mentioning it the first time around, but of course, many endurance road bikes are a signature thing over a more all-round road bike or more race-focused road bike, I should say, is mudguard mounts. I am Bike Radar's resident mudguard evangelist, and I will fit mudguards at any given opportunity to road bikes because life is quite simply too short to have a wet bum, let alone when you're six hours into your three-figure ride. I can't think of anything I would rather have less. Well, let's talk through some of the, the key features that you can expect to see and an endurance road bike, particularly some of the latest bikes, and perhaps we'll touch, Warren, on some of the machines that you've tested over the last couple of months. Some of these we've just touched upon, but I think it's worth recapping on geometry because that is a really key point. So, whilst you've been through some of the numbers, but something that I wanted to ask is that, you know, do you always need to have a relaxed position on an endurance bike? You know, Jack's someone that likes a fairly aggressive position, and I myself, as I said, like a quite a sporty position on the bike. So, you know, what kind of uh, spectrum is there when it comes to uh, geometry for bikes that are marketed as endurance road bikes? It can be quite extreme. I mean, if you take a bike like um, Phelps VR, I mean, that is very sort of tall, short, upright, um, but it's still very light. It's, you know, very enjoyable bike to ride. But the modern kind of endurance bike, and you have to remember, you know, bikes like the Specialized Roubaix, the Trek Domani, the Camadale Synapse up until its um, latest generation, were all bikes that were actually designed to be raced they were you know they were all designed for the cobbled classics but they are that little bit taller they are that little bit shorter than their the brands out and out race bikes but the way i was sort of um like to think on on an endurance bike is they are that um that bit taller that bit shorter etc but that's almost like when you're as most of us do you probably spend 90 percent of your time actually riding up on the hoods you know you're not down in the drops like a pro but I always find the advantage of an endurance bike, and I'm talking of bikes like Cervelo's Caledonia, which is one of the more sportier of the endurance kind of bikes, is that you actually find yourself spending far more time down in down in the drops than you would on a Cervelo R series or an S series, because it's only a difference of uh, you know a couple of centimeters or so, but it's just much more comfortable. 
you know, you're not quite so backbreakingly flat and long stretched out. So I actually think for, for most riders who aren't aspiring racers or racers, etc., um, the endurance bike geometry would actually make for a faster bike than if you bought an out and out race bike where you struggle to stay in the drops for, for as long. You know, it's a, it's a kind of, it's a, it's an odd thing. It's a bit like, you know, an analogy I used to sort of talk to people about was like, it, it's a bit, it's a bit like having um, a high performance car on the road. Now, if you had a big S-Class Mercedes with a massive V8 and without, you know, hundreds of brake horsepower, 90% of the time, it's going to be much, much faster than a little open wheeled, like Caterham sports car. But on a track, the Caterham is going to absolutely kill the Mercedes, but the Mercedes is the better thing for grand, you know, the Gran Turismo kind of thing it's aimed at, you know? So I think there's, um, I, I think we can all get a little bit drawn into, you know, kind of the, you know, the fashionable allure of, of professional racers and, and, you know, these exquisite super light race bikes, but for day-to-day -day riding and especially big, big mileage riding, they're probably not the best choice. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Mm, and as you say, it also opens up the possibility of just using more of the bike in terms of the tops and the hoods and, and also the, the drops, you know, you're definitely right in saying I, I'm one of those people that, you know, rarely touches the drops unless you're descending. So, you know, if there's the opportunity to to tuck in a bit more and get aero because the position is more comfortable, then, you know, great. That's what the, that's what the drops are for. Um, I mean, the, the Trek Demani was definitely a bike that had two geometries on offer at one point. I don't know if that's still the case, but they had the, was it the H1 or the H1.5, which was the, the kind of pro level fit that was available on a, on a limited basis to consumers. Yes, it was the uh, one in the H1 and H2, and now they've sort of met a middle ground in the H1.5 is your geometry choice now. Um, but I really liked that. And, you know, it's a, sort of a shame that it was discontinued, but at the same time, how many people wanted a super, super aggressive Demani? Probably quite limited, but definitely one of those kind of bikes that cool people that worked in bike shops wanted to own because it was very limited and cool, including myself. <laughs> And one of the bikes that you touched upon, Warren, when talking about the spectrum of uh, geometries was the Cervelo Caledonia, which is at the racier or slightly more aggressive end of uh, the endurance bike spectrum. And then, as you said, the, the Felt VR is perhaps the more kind of archetypal, um, uh, kind of relaxed and upright endurance bike. But the, the Cervelo Caledonia is a really interesting one because it's almost representative of how a lot of endurance bikes have evolved over the last few years. And it also has some aero features, which 
perhaps just a few years ago we wouldn't have expected on an endurance bike. Yeah, true. You know, um, but you wouldn't expect anything less of Cervelo. You know, it's a brand that's that's grounded in in aerodynamics. And I, I, I'm a big fan of the, of the Caledonia. I think it's a a brilliant achievement. You know, they've ever so slightly slowed down the the steering responses compared to the R series, um, and you know, comfort-wise, it's not the most comfortable of the, of the endurance bikes out there, but it has enough space to get tyres in there that will bring you all the comfort you need. Um, but you know, what I think is is really, really, really good about that bike is it's been thought about as a bike to live with. So, you know, to appease Jack, it's got guard mounts. It's got you know, it's got it's got fixtures and fittings for things that will make your riding experience better. My personal opinion, I think 95% of aspiring Cervelo owners probably wouldn't have the Caledonia as their first choice. But I think 99% of Cervelo aspiring owners should have it as their first choice. I mean, the Caledonia is definitely a bike that's at the punchier end when it comes to pricing. So, you know, in terms of the the kind of the, the broad range of endurance bikes that are available, you know, what's the what, what's the kind of price range that people should be looking at? And I suppose, you know, does this extend also to aluminium and titanium and, and, and steel frames as well? Or, or are most of these kind of designs and innovations kind of exclusive to, to carbon fibre? I think there are some fabulous um, long distance titanium bikes out there. You know, um, Ribble's uh, offerings in, in that space are really, really nice. As a Van Nicholas, as a, um, you know, the likes of, of Linsky and, you know, it's titanium, so sky's the limit. On, on steel, you know, I think... Um, there are some beautiful handmade options around, and then you've got the likes of, of you know Genesis with with their various defer named bikes um, do, do some great value offerings. Um, but it's kind of in carbon, I think, where I'm seeing some 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 really nice stuff. I've I've just got a you know done a test with with Cycling Plus um, on um, endurance bikes under three thousand pounds, which I think is um, depending on when this podcast is out, it's probably in stores now. Um, it's on sale on the 9th of June. And in that, you know, there's a, a, a incredibly good value bike from Cube. Um, and there's Giant's Defy Advance Zero, which um, at 2000, I think it's £2,899, which is, or, or $4,350. And, you know, that has all the things you'd expect from the very best of the Defy range. So it's got the diffuse um, bar, the diffuse carbon seat post, great saddle. Really nice wheels, come set up tubeless, great tires, and it's got you know one of my favourite group sets at the minute. It's got SRAM's rival axis, um, and it just represents like value that I just I found it really hard to fault to be honest. You know, I, and I, I rode that you know I took that bike on a couple of um, really big long days out. I think you know one was a, a hundred and ten mile ride, and then the other one was a, about an eighty five mile ride, and I got back from it. and I was going, I, I don't think I could need any more than this, you know. If I was left with this bike to ride for the rest of my days, then I'd be perfectly happy. Mm, I mean that 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 free grand um, price point, you know, clearly that's that is a lot of money to spend on a bicycle, but it's also a price point that I think for a lot of people represents the point where you are getting a lot for your money, and it's kind of a point of or a case of diminishing returns from from then on up. Um, I mean, Jack, you mentioned ISO speed earlier, and that's one of the key uh, comfort enhancing technologies. Um, I suppose that that's one way to put it, that uh, emerged with the Trek de Marne back in 2011 or 2012, I think, when that was first launched. 
I mean, have you got much experience with some of the competitors to ISO speed that have developed in the time since then? Uh, Future Shock from Specialized, as I mentioned, I've uh, ridden both the Roubaix and the Diverge. I think it was 2017 that Warren uh, named the Roubaix the uh, bike of the year. And I hadn't ridden it prior to that, that, and I was sort of ever so slightly skeptical of it. I don't know, just sort of suspending the rider concept felt like it had uh, been been and gone in the 90s. But having ridden that bike and the Diverge, both the current generation and the previous generation, I'm, it's, a, it's a fantastic system, which really exceeded my expectations. Um, I did a really excellent ride in 2018. Really good video on the Bike Radar YouTube channel uh, where myself and Joe Norledge, former colleague, rode across the coast to coast in the north of England. Uh, really good mixed day out, properly hard um, gravel, but mostly on the road route. Uh, and I was genuinely very, very surprised by just how much comfort that system adds. Um, it's a bit more refined than uh, the bike I rode then, but... If I was looking for an endurance road bike, I really, really wouldn't overlook the, the Specialized Roubaix, which also features the Future Shock and was very, very highly rated by uh, many of our testers on Bike Radar, but most notably with Matthew Loveridge when he reviewed it as a long-term test bike in 2020. And then looking at someone like Canyon, I've spent quite a lot of time on their very imaginatively named VLCS seat post, the vertically, no, no, vertically VCLS vertically stiff, laterally compliant seat post, um, essentially a two-part leaf spring seat post, which allows the seat post to flex back and forth. Again, a very, very surprisingly effective system. I would call that passive suspension um, and something that works much, much better than you'd anticipate. I did ever so slightly have to adjust my saddle angle to sort of compensate for the sag from that seat post, but really... As a way to add comfort to any road bike, I definitely recommend that one. It is a, is a properly good system. And also recently released, re-released uh, under the Ergon banner. There's a kind of connection there between Canyon and Ergon. Uh, but if you want an aftermarket option, Ergon there is your choice. Cannondale as well, though it's not really tech per se, will tell you that their Synapse, both the previous generation and the new one, include their Save technology, which is quite hard to define, but is essentially sort of fancy carbon manipulation to improve rear end comfort um i've never actually ridden the synapse uh it's one i haven't spent much time on but i know you warren rated the new bike very highly and felix smith owns the previous generation snaps and has done some truly magnificent rides on that bike and i still own the previous generation the one felix has got as well i mean was tell us a bit about the synapse and that's a, a bike that's been bike of the year for us i think a, a few years ago and, and certainly well, it won the endurance category this year didn't it so you know what impressed you about that bike in 2022 i, I mean what i really liked about the, the the new generation of synapse is is um it's how they've stepped that bike away because every generation before it was always um yeah this is our endurance bike but it's still it's still you know Pro racers don't ignore it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this latest generation one, they've just gone. Actually, why? You know, why are we trying to appeal to this tiny, small market when we can make a bike that is really, you know, perfectly set up for 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 most riders? So, you know, the things like you know, this the smart save integration, I think, is a um, as a first sort of step into a brave new world. Integrate in lights, integrate in you know with their the various radar system, etc. These are just practical additions 
that make your ride experience better. You know, the bike's got mounts on the top tube, so you can, you know, so you can fit a, so you can fit a decent bag. You know, it's got um, multiple mounts everywhere else. It's got mudguard mounts. It's even got rack mounts, even though, you know, the bike's no heavier than the previous generation. It's got generous tire clearances. You know, everything about that bike is set up for the for the modern rider that's going to use their bike, you know, 365 days a year, um, can rain or shine. And I, and I, I kind of admire them being so bold and again in in the right spec in the you know the right model in the range i think that that bike is almost defines the the modern endurance bike um even to the point where it's slightly gravel capable um for for the kind of most riding that any you know that most most people venturing onto gravel will, will do that bike will handle it remarkably easily the same can be said for something like the Tamani. same could definitely be said for the for the Roubaix um so I I just think it's that you know it's a bike that's that's drawing more into um because let's face it the endurance bike in 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 recent years has almost been sort of overlooked you know You've got the, the glamour of the aero bike, the glamour of super lightweight race bikes. You know, I'm talking things like, you know, the Athos or or whatever have, have come along. And then we've got this explosion in gravel. You've got, you know, and the, the, the sort of the versatile end of gravel, then the racy end of gravel, you know, which, which you know, Canadella are at the forefront of that as well, you know, with um, with the, with the you know, the Evo SE and then Cervelo's Aspero, things like that. You know, all of these things are impacting on, on the kind of enduro space, you know, endurance space where... Um, it could become that those bikes were irrelevant. So I think the endurance bike as a genre needed, you know, needed a bit of a, a kick up the backside actually. And I think I think that's what the synapse has done. I mean, Jack, I know you're someone who likes to run a, a wide, squishy tire. So you know, what are the benefits there in terms of um, endurance riding? And and I suppose is there a question mark over speed if you are running a tire that wide? Uh, yes. So the primary benefits are comfort. You know, the larger your tire, the larger volume of air is in there and essentially you're creating more space between you and the road um, that will result in your bike being on rougher surfaces arguably it could be faster the tyre is more able to absorb the lumps and bumps in the road and it doesn't really get hung up on those small imperfections but really for long long days out it's more about reducing vibrational losses to you so if you're being rattled around less, you're kind of less fatigued by your bike shaking you about, it's, it's about improving comfort for that long day. Um, there is a trade-off, of course. There is definitely an upper limit for a road bike. And, uh, you know, over a certain speed, aerodynamics will kind of come into play. But there is also the argument that beyond a certain width, you know, you're not really going to see a great deal of additional benefit if you are primarily riding on paved roads and that's you know the focus of an endurance bike so for me personally for the majority of my riding if i was on nice roads i'd be looking for a 28 30 mil tire maybe just because i do prefer that slightly higher average speed but if it was more cruisy long audax i don't think it's unreasonable or unusual to see people running a 32 millimeter tire plus um the track demani is a good example where that bike in most of its spec options come with a 32 millimeter slick as stock that would have been unheard of even 10 years ago but it kind of indicates very much that comfort is at the forefront of uh what you're looking for in an in an endurance road bike and while there will be some sort of mechanical losses through any wider tire you can of course mitigate these by upgrading to a faster but still wide tire the likes of the continental gp5000 arguably the sort of 
best all-rounder road tire you can buy is available all the way up to 32 millimeters these days, which, you know, that's a really quick tire that's pretty relatively durable, um, but is still going to give you that same kind of comfort of a wider tire. I think that's one of the trends we can all kind of sing the praises of over the, the past few years is the availability of properly fast uh, performance road tires in wide widths, whether that's the uh, the Continental GP5000, as you just mentioned, the, the Schwalbe Pro one, there are various options out there. So you can run a fast but wide tire on an endurance road bike. Speaking of trends, George, I'll turn the tables in here, you here, because I know this is a real passion point of yours, but in terms of gearing, endurance road bikes have certainly seen, compared to their racy counterparts, gearing get easier over the years. And that's something I know you welcome with wide open arms. I think, yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, one of the key points there as well is just the continuous addition of extra sprockets. And I know, you know, there is always the question when the move comes from nine speed to 10 speed and 10 to 11 and 11 to 12 and even 12 to 13. You know, what's, what's the point? Why do we need an extra sprocket? But I think actually when it comes to the gearing choice on something like an endurance road bike, that's where it really does make sense because, you know, you could still have a 52-36 crank set uh, in Shimano's case. I know it's slightly different for SRAM and have that high top-end gear or that kind of fast top-end gear. But then you can also combine that with uh, an 11-34 tooth cassette again in the case of Shimano and have a really low gear for climbing. So, you know, there there aren't necessarily any kind of compromises. And because you've got 12 sprockets on the latest uh, Durace and Ortegra, um, you can have a fairly smooth progression through uh, through the whole gearing range. And as I say, really low at the low end and really high at the, at the top end. So, yeah, no real compromise. And I know that's something that you spoke about, Warren, in your uh, recent Shimano Ortegra review is the, the kind of, uh, I think it's single tooth, steps through this first kind of seven or eight sprockets on the uh uh on the new Ortega cassette yeah exactly yeah exactly and it's it's something that's ram did really 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 well with with axis when they moved to 12 speed where they kind of re- realigned gear ratios and kind of you know um and yeah now it, it's gone are the days of old you know you know i'm i've been around long enough that when you used to get those big wide um wide wide spaced um, gear cassettes I'm talking you know 1130 which was huge um, back then or or when SRAM you know introduced things like Wi-Fi so you had an 1132 and then the you know the biggest kind of uh, criticism I used to get back from that when I because I used to espouse that I, I actually liked it um, was oh those gaps are just far too big because you know especially in the UK because we're a, we're a nation of road cyclists you know um no, how how much we we would like not to be. We're we're born from time trialing, where the straight through cassette is king, um, and I think you know now the, the, the gear ratios are now a bit more democratic. They're a bit more for everyone rather than um, something you had to man up or you know beef up to ride. So I, I'm I am a, uh, you know a big a big fan of the broader ratios and even down to you know the, the the endurance bike that i made bike of the year this year the cannondale um rle limited in fact comes with shimano grx you know so it's effectively got an adventure gearing ratio on it so you know on that one we're talking i think it's a 48 31 if i remember correctly yeah it's a 48 31 chain set with an 1134 set and i rode that and you know, I rode that with some, you know, sort of fast roadie friends and everything. 
And I never found it wanting. You know, I think if I was um, barreling down out to Wes and trying to hit 60 mile an hour, I might go, oh, I'm spinning out a little bit. But how often does that happen? And I think the, the other thing I, I would like to, you know, uh, as I say, I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of the endurance bike as a, as a genre, as it were. And I'd like to just big up um, what the endurance bike has done for cycling, you know, road cycling generally. You know, if you talk about things like, you know, um, in, in this year's Bike of the Year on the, the kind of high performance bikes, I was testing the new um, Bianchi Specialissima, which is a fabulous, beautiful, wonderful bike. You know, if I won the lottery, I'd buy one. Um, but that uses um, Bianchi's CV technology, which first debuted on their endurance bikes on the Infinito. A CV countervail, it's a, it's effectively like a viscous layer within the carbon. So it's a it's a layer within that never actually sets, and it's only there to just stamp out vibrations. And on the Infinito, it works fabulously well, but I was impressed at how well it worked on the Specialissima. And then if you're looking at Cannondale with um, the Synapse, the Synapse was the first frame within Cannondale's um, um, range that introduced like proportional sizing. So the down tube differs in actual physical dimensions on the smallest bike to the largest bike so that no matter what bike you buy whether you're you know four foot six or six foot four they ride the same now that debuted on their endurance bike and then fed out into the rest of the range um giant on the defy that's where they they brought in defuse you know which is their carbon fiber damping technology that's on the revolt gravel bike which you know as we know i've just made you know well we've just made bike of the year um so um and then if you're talking about the defy defy was the first drop bar road bike to go disc only you know so i i think endurable endurance bikes can be overlooked but they're actually where plenty of innovations born and i think um and i find that really interesting you know yeah and possibly relevant going back to, to tire choice as well you know we would have seen 28 millimeter tires on endurance road bikes to begin with and now that uh, road race bikes have the clearance for the same tires and even wider we're seeing pros move, move to that wider width because there is the the kind of the knowledge and the understanding now that uh, a wider tire can be faster often is faster faster but as jack said it's also more comfortable over long distances and that kind of or uh, less accumulation of fatigue does make a big difference in terms of performance. So I think you're absolutely right, Was It's not just a case of kind of trickle-down technologies we're used to talking about, but also trickle-up in terms of endurance tech moving up to uh, up to road race bikes and up to some of the flagship models. I mean, just to very briefly kind of touch back on, on gearing, Was what's the kind of typical ratios that you're seeing on uh, some of the latest bikes that you've tested? I think, um, well, obviously it's a bit, it's a bit different because now we have obviously SRAM mixing things up with the, the axis ratios, but um, on the road side of things, you know, it's obviously the, the 50, 34 is king, but whereas only probably two or three seasons ago, the 50, 34 will be paired with an 11, 28. Now it's much more common that it's, um, it's an 11, 32 or an even 11, 34 um, when we're talking 11 speed mechanical groups. Um, and, and, you know, that is a, a massive sea change i mean you know in preparing for this this podcast i was looking back through my many years of um uh, bike testing and went back to to 2014 which was um when the 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 synapse that i still own um won bike of the year um and reading reading you know reading my review of that and i'm raving about the fact that that bike's got a, a 50 34 and 11 28 okay this you know this ratio is fabulous if you want to 
climb the highest mountains, etc., etc. And now that would be almost a performance bike gear ratio. So I think we're. I don't think it's a case of you know um, um, we've got any less hardy as cyclists. We're just I think people are just now understanding more about gear ratios and you know actually actually spinning and not putting all the pressure on your on your knees and hips is probably a good thing. Yeah, I don't think anybody misses pushing about on a thirty nine twenty three really. No, I think that's um, yeah. I mean, there there are more gearing choices than than ever. Well, that can be occasionally confusing in terms of you know one by or two by and the the difference now between Shimano and uh, SRAM uh, ratios and and Campag as well. The bottom line is is that gear ratios are easier, and whether you're a pro or someone out for a Sunday club ride that is a good thing and you don't have to have that easier ratio um with the compromise of a, a lack of a, a fast gear so yeah i'm i'm all for uh the the current gear options that we've got i think it's a really uh really strong yeah, move um, over the last couple of years you know and i think you have to you know you have to sort of remember kind of the, the apocryphal story about how stram came about with wi-fi you know it's um when they'd first moved into into road um, group sets and we're sponsoring professional teams and they had Contador on their on their roster um, it was a particularly tough stage coming up in the Giro and um, Contador was asking for a, for a, a lighter bottom gear now SRAM um, SRAM's mountain bike rear mechs worked on the same one-to-one ratio so what they actually did is went to a you know went to a, a bike shop got a mountain bike rear mech and put an 1132 on his bike and he won the stage, you know. So when one of the greatest climbers in the world is going, you know, I'd like a lighter gear today so I can spin a bit harder, you know, spin a bit faster, then, you know, I, I always was always of the opinion, well, who am I to judge, you know? It's kind of... That's it, yeah. And if there's someone who likes to spin, then it was Contador flying up those mountains at about 120 RPM out of the saddle. Um, just to, to finish up, Jack, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the key features of uh, endurance bikes from geometry and frame materials and aero features and the, the various ways to extract comfort, whether that's through uh, kind of pseudo suspension or wider tyres. Um, but, you know, let's talk a bit more about the kind of versatility that does come from some of the additional mounting points and features that might be built into a, uh, into a bike. So you talked about mud guards earlier, but you're also someone who has said before us before in this podcast that luggage is not a crime when it comes to cycling. <laughs> and I think an endurance bike does give you more options when it comes to hanging bags off your bike. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the bar bag, the, the humble bar bag will work on any bike and it's definitely the most Instagram compatible of the luggage options out there. Uh, but endurance road bikes give you the option to run most commonly now bento style boxes or top tube bags, depending on who you're asking. Uh, and these typically mount on two bolts or two bosses rather just behind the uh, head tube on the top of the top tube and they allow you to have really easily accessible snacks tools whatever you need phone quite often as well um, and definitely a carryover from the triathlon world but something we see really really commonly now on endurance road bikes and on most gravel bikes as well um you know it's a it's an aerodynamic place to put it it's really accessible it's out the way of bottles and they don't require straps typically to work so absolutely no shame in fitting a top tube bag to your bike um elsewhere you will sometimes quite often see remounts for uh pannier racks on the rear um of endurance road bikes now 
you're you're unlikely to be doing some heavily loaded horizon seeking touring on an endurance bike but if you are looking for something that'll be a nice all-rounder for lighter trips or for commuting pannier racks shouldn't be overlooked they're very very easy for carrying a, a good deal of luggage and get stuff off of your back which is always a comfortable or more comfortable option um and you will also quite often now see a, a third water bottle boss typically on the underside of the down tube on endurance road bikes. Now, it's not a great place to have a water bottle unless you are running mud guards or you just particularly like the taste of road dirt. Um, but, you know, a lot of people like tool kegs and that's a very, very good place to hide them. So taking the place of a water bottle, just a little case essentially to stash your ride essentials and on the underside of the down tube is a good option. Or if you are doing a really long ride, I, for example, have gone for a more like... Um, traditional screw top bottle down there and you can decant that into your other bottles it's just a good way if you're doing a long unsupported ride to take additional water and then finally though this is definitely more rare um i can only think of a handful of bikes but some endurance road bikes will include bosses on the fork um these are typically referred to as like anything mounts or triple boss uh, cages but they'll allow you to take either some very lightweight luggage or again additional water mounted onto the fork legs um, a good place keeps things out of the way doesn't really affect the handling of the bike too too much um, and just gives you the chance to carry more stuff and finally some endurance road bikes more mainstream ones uh, than in previous years Cannondale Synapse is a good option or a good uh, example will now include routing for dynamo lights dynamo lights use a generator typically based in your front hub uh, that generates electrical current and allows you to run your lights 24-7 without having to charge them. For long rides, unsurprisingly, if you live anywhere where it actually gets dark <laughs> in the summers even, um, it's a very, very good thing to have. I love a dynamo light. I have one on uh, one of my more endurancy road bikes uh, and it really reduces source of battery anxiety as there is none. I mean, the Canyon Endurace, which is a, a long-standing endurance bike, as the name would suggest, in, in Canyon's range, um, has recently been updated this year, not only with wider tyres, but also those top tube uh, or kind of bento box mounts. And that's really um, indicative of, uh, yeah, the trend for more mounting points on an, an endurance bikes over the last couple of years. So, you know, I think we're coming to an end. We've, uh, you know, given a really good summary of some of the key points to look out for when buying or, uh, you know, perhaps considering an endurance road bike as your as your next road bike. Um, but Warren, just to finish up, I'm going to ask you two questions. The first one might be slightly leading, but, you know, do give an honest answer. Uh, the second one, perhaps not so much. So are endurance bikes better than ever? And secondly, you know, what's next? What do you want to see in terms of the evolution of the endurance bike in future? Um, yeah, I think they are. I because th I, I, I think there's there's enough diversity in endurance bikes now. You can get something if you're of the the sort of more sporty, racier bent. You know, with bikes like the like the Caledonia, um, and then at the other you know the other end of the spectrum, as I said before, like bikes like the Felt VR are are great kind of all day cruisers. Um, what would I like to see next? I'd like to see a few brands exploring down the avenues of what, what Canada have done with the new Synapse and actually looking at features and uh, and fittings, etc., to a bike that's going to make it much more, um, much more real world friendly, as it were. You know, not, um, not relaxed pro race bikes, but um, high performance bikes 
for the rest of us, as it were. Um, and I think, you know, I think there's bikes like the Synapse and I think the new Canyon Endurance is, is getting getting to that point. Um, even a bike like Trex, Trex Damani with its double ISO speed, ISO speed on the front, ISO speed on the rear, is just a phenomenally comfortable bike. It's just, um, um, it, you know, it's got like a magic carpet ride to it, which is fabulous if you, you know, if you live, you know, somewhere like where I do, where the roads aren't particularly brilliant, um, that bike makes every every ride nicer. I th I, I'm hoping that endurance bikes are going to get more practical while still being more performant. Mm, and there's a, there's a real kind of sweet spot there, isn't there? And it's quite a difficult one to strike, but you know, hopefully that is a, a trend that's emerging. And you know, same question for you, Jack. What what next? You know, what do you want to see in terms of the next evolution of endurance bikes? And and you can't say mud guards are standard across the board. <laughs> uh, I, I to go into the other question, I say yes, they are better than ever. They're more refined, as Warren said, and they are sort of more versatile. And I would like to see that really coming forward i'd like to see versatility that we see on gravel bikes in terms of uh, luggage mounting capabilities all that sort of stuff becomes standard across endurance road bikes however i wouldn't like them to lose their roady focus you know gravel bikes have definitely nibbled at the fringes of the endurance road bike market arguably many people will be better served by gravel bikes for their riding though of course it depends on where you live and with that in mind i'd like to see a bit of specificity in endurance road bikes stick around i do still want handling that is more road bike like i want sort of looks that are more road bike like um and there will always be the gravel bike there for those who want something a bit more shred venturous but yes uh, i like endurance road bikes to stay road bikes <laughs> yeah i mean something we haven't spoken about at all is the the all road bike which is a, a topic for another podcast but kind of occupies that that middle ground between uh, perhaps your more adventurous endurance bikes and then your your kind of sportier gravel bikes. But no, I, I agree with you, Jack. I think, you know, firstly, that versatility is is key, but you do also want, uh, you know, still a, a performance element to an endurance bike, I think. You want to be able to ride it fast. You want it to feel responsive, but, you know, whilst having that comfort and versatility and um, option to to get adventurous if you want to. So let's leave it there. That's a summary of the endurance road bike in 2022 and some of the options that are available on the market. Hopefully that's helped and uh, we'll definitely be keen to hear your feedback on this podcast. So do leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice and do subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast so you don't miss an episode. Let's leave it there. Jack, Warren, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, George. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks, George. And we will speak to you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.